Welcome back to Refocused, a podcast all about attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, hosted and produced by me, Lindsay Gensel, a job-hopping TV and radio personality and producer who was diagnosed two years ago right before my 35th birthday. Support for this podcast comes from the team at ADHD Online, a telemedicine mental health care company based in Grand Rapids, Michigan, that provides affordable and accessible ADHD assessments and treatment plans, including medication management and teletherapy. It's time we all acknowledge the importance of putting our oxygen masks on first. If you missed last week's episode, I dug into this hard. There's a reason the flight attendants repeat that line before every flight. We are no good to anyone around us if we can't breathe. And obviously, not breathing, it's not good for any of us. But there's so many ways to analyze the importance of that line. And so throughout the month of January, we're going to be looking at the different areas in our lives where we can make ourselves a priority. You know, learning to put our oxygen masks on first. And I'm so excited to welcome Becca King to Refocused. Last week, we started the conversation around exploring the connection between ADHD and food with Dr. Marilyn James. And if you missed my conversation with Dr. James, I highly recommend pausing and going back just to the episode right before this one and starting there because she does a fantastic job of setting us up for today's convo. Today, well, today we're talking about doing the work making the changes, figuring out what works for us, and moving forward with a healthier mindset and relationship with something we deal with multiple times a day. And that's where Becca King comes in. Becca is one of the ADHD experts you'll be hearing from this month. She is a registered dietitian nutritionist from Charlotte, North Carolina, who as an adult with ADHD, struggled for years with disordered eating. And that experience is a big part of why she is so passionate about helping other adults with ADHD, many of whom struggle with binge eating, chronic dieting, and body image issues, comorbidities that are often tied to the way our brains work. And she uses the principles of intuitive eating and a weight-inclusive approach to nutrition to help her clients find food freedom while improving their self-esteem. And she so generously shares her wealth of knowledge on social media. If you spent any time on Instagram down the rabbit hole that is ADHD content, I guarantee you've seen her account, ADHD.nutritionist. And she does all of that while also working with clients through her virtual practice. And Becca, I am so excited to have you here on Refocus. Yes, I'm so excited to chat with you. Thank you for having me. To get started, I'm hoping you might share a bit about your own ADHD journey because I'm wondering which came first, knowing about your ADHD or your education and training as a nutritionist. Yeah, so I struggled with food first before I noticed any kind of ADHD things, there were little things along the way looking back now that I'm like, oh, it all makes those little things like why I felt different than everyone else or like there was something wrong with me (laughs) at the time. But it was when I was a freshman in college, like I feel like I have somewhat of a traditional story for a female where I did really well in school. My mom kept me super busy in sports and I was just, I was always on a schedule and things. And when I got to, 
I had tutors and stuff to help me with school too. So that definitely was very helpful. But then when I got to college, I struggled with everything. Like I knew kind of had a, like a system I figured out for studying, but like being able to keep my dorm room clean, figuring out where I needed to be, when I needed to be there, how long was it going to take like to get across campus and do all sorts of things was so hard for me. And my roommate at the time had ADHD and we ended up living together our second year. And when I was in therapy, I started bringing it up to my therapist. I was like, I think I have ADHD because we're two peas in a pod. <laughs> like, we're very similar and struggle with a lot of the same things. And so she tested me. She was like, yep, you definitely have ADHD. <laughs> and I didn't really think much of it or didn't really think of it outside of the context of like school and helping keep my apartment clean. Like didn't even think about like how emotional dysregulation plays into it or even the connection with food. It didn't really connect to me at the time. And it really wasn't until later on, like after I became a dietitian that I started kind of thinking about like, who do I want to work with? And I was working with a really good friend who also struggled with kind of what I call the ADHD binge restrict cycle, but um, struggled with binge eating. And I was like, I struggled with binge eating too, like not eating on my stimulant meds and then binging at night. And so I did some polls and some Facebook support groups and all these women were like, I struggle with binge eating. And I was like, there's no resources out here for adults, especially with ADHD and nutrition. Everything was like how to feed your kid <laughs> who has ADHD and is on a stimulant. Even my like nutrition textbook, that it's just a paragraph about like how to feed kids who are how don't have an appetite because they're meds. And I'm like, this is so much bigger. Like nutrition for ADHD is so much bigger than that. And it was the beginning of the pandemic. So I had a lot of free time to use my hyper-focus to learn everything more that I could about ADHD. So, Well, and it's so fascinating that this is, I mean, in a sense, very new for you as well, yeah. because it just goes to show how far we've come, but how far we still have to go, you know, yeah. to think that like not too long ago, textbooks didn't include anything about women and ADHD and, you know, a lot of the struggles that can come when we talk about how food plays a role in our lives. Yeah. Yeah. It's really mind blowing to me. Like I just remember looking things up and being like, this is it. And even just seeing like when I would read in the literature, it would be like a footnote and what, you know, people with ADHD might struggle with was Oh, you might like eating disorders, and then we just keep it moving. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> like, we're just gonna gloss over this. And like, this is kind of a big deal because we have to eat every single day, multiple times a day, and it's really important how our brains work. And we're just gonna gloss over it. <laughs> like that eating disorders. There's a connection there, and we'll get into that because yes. I have my own story of yeah. you know. My ADHD diagnosis explained so much, but yeah. I don't think I don't think people who have never had an issue or an unhealthy relationship with food can really understand how overwhelming it can be. Yeah, it is life changing, so consuming. Like yes, I in high school, like when I moved, we moved my junior year of high school, and that was when I was like, I can't control anything totally undiagnosed ADHD, but I can control food. And that was kind of my like, so I'm going to become, I was already, I'm, was by no means an unhealthy person or anything. I was <laughs> like, I'm going to become as healthy as possible. And that was like a hyperfixation that became very disordered 
And for a long time, it was like this huge chunk of my brain is being taken up by constantly thinking about what I'm putting in my body, what I'm not putting in my body. Is it the right thing, the wrong thing, too much of this or not enough of this? Or like, how do I make up for this? And I was like, this is exhausting. And I have so many other things in life I have to do that I need to figure out (laughs) not be thinking about this 24-7. Yes. All of of that. Yes. (laughs) So I'm very upfront about acknowledging that as it is with most things in life, ADHD is not a one-size-fits-all diagnosis. And that includes ADHD and the connection or relationship that one might have with food. But if we zoom out and look at the connection, big picture, what do we know about ADHD and food and kind of this intertwined life of, as as you mentioned, like this big part of your brain that was consumed by it? Yeah. Like I think there's multiple areas that it kind of impacts. So like the executive function piece can make or dysfunction can make cooking and grocery shopping and organizing, cleaning up your kitchen. It can make all of that really challenging. And so to people who maybe don't have ADHD, like even if you don't have a necessarily bad relationship with food, it can be, I don't know how to meal plan or the idea of like spending your whole, like the traditional quote unquote meal prep of like, just spend your whole Sunday in the kitchen and prepare your meals for the week. And it's great. And I couldn't, even as a dietitian, like, why would I want to do that? Like I enjoy cooking, but I don't want to eat the same thing for lunch every day unless like my brain decides that's what it wants every day. But chances are by like Tuesday or Wednesday, even if it's my favorite thing, I might not want to eat it. And then all that food goes to waste. So there's kind of that side of things. And then also just being able to like the interoception piece. So being able to pick up on body cues, like even if you're not medicated, you might not recognize hunger cues. So you can go really long periods of time without eating. And then when you do eat, you're usually ravenous. And so that can lead to not making always, quote, unquote, the best food choices because you're hungry. So your body wants the quickest form of energy that it's going to get, which tends to be like simple carbs and things that may be more like ultra processed or can like fast food and things. Not not that those things are bad, but a lot of times it's like, I wouldn't eat that if I wasn't (laughs) ravenous. It's just like, that was what my brain wanted in that moment. And then afterwards, a lot of my clients will be like, I don't feel good eating that. So that piece will play into it. And then eating for stimulation too, I think is a big piece. Like for a lot of my clients, because they're, I work with a lot of mostly women and they don't get diagnosed later in life or typically. And so a lot of times they'll, they won't even realize like, oh, this whole time, like I was a boredom eater or whatever. I was just always snacking and I could never understand why because I knew I wasn't truly hungry. And then making that connection to me is one of my fa- like favorite things was like helping people realize that there is that piece there because like, oh, now that makes so much more sense. And then it doesn't matter what camp you fall into there's the shame spiral that happens. And I think yes. for a lot of us, you know, you mentioned, was it the ADHD binge restrict yeah. cycle? <laughs> Going back, you mentioned meal prepping and meal planning. Yeah. And I think one of the things that we don't talk about is that it's going to look different for everyone. Yes, And I think we get this idea of like what perfect is and what perfect would be in our lives. And when we don't reach that, whether it's eating healthy or planning our meals or prepping our meals, then we go into this like deep despair of I'm not worthy. I'm not 
I'm not holding up my end of the bargain. And then it's like, we're 10 steps back, except for we tried something and like you're learning from it, but we don't tell ourselves that. Yeah. 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 Where it's like, yeah, like I'm not an adult. I get that a lot from my clients. Like I can't even, I can't even meal plan or, you know, cook meals for myself. I can't even, I don't even feel like I'm a real adult. (laughs) And I think too, it's unfortunate, like social media, a lot of what's portrayed as, as, you know, quote unquote healthy eating or whatever is like spending a lot of time in the kitchen and doing things like that, that doesn't, isn't necessary. If you enjoy that and it makes you happy, you can spend all the time you want in the kitchen, but it's not like a a requirement. But I think we get it in our head because you see so much like you just spend this time cooking and it's this lovely experience. And for one of my clients, it's like, this is not a lovely experience. It is awful or I dread it. But then there's the other side of the coin or like, I'll always kind of comment about like how cooking can be challenging. And then I'll be like, well, I'm a chef with ADHD. And I'm like, so this is like your passion. This is what's stimulating for your brain. But for other people, it's this like super annoying task that they have to do, you know, sometimes multiple times a day. Right. And again, going back to we're all going to be different. And, yeah. and I think it's what's so interesting too is like, I have found in my own journey, you know, I did a lot of meal prepping before my diagnosis and that was, you know, well before the pandemic and yeah. then I was diagnosed during the pandemic and then we were still kind of in this flux phase. And so I haven't gone back to that, but what works for you now might not work for you in a year. And so you constantly have to just be like, okay, knowing that you're trying to do the best for yourself. Yeah. And I think it does change I I think having a very long education for me, every semester, you know, your class schedule is different. Everything's different. So it was always, I have to change my routines and adjust accordingly. And I think it kind of taught me some skills after school about different seasons of life, different patterns or routines or behaviors work well, and you might have to adjust accordingly. And that is okay. Like it's not going to, once you find a route, especially for ADHD years, like once you find a system or a thing that works, there's good chance at some point it's not going to work. And not for any like fault of your own. It just, it becomes like your brain says, oh, this we're, we're bored of this. We might need to change it up a little bit or your environment or something changes and we have to adjust. And I think it just isn't always acknowledged that like it's normal to have to adjust and that's okay. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I've talked about my own experience with disordered eating here on the podcast before and yeah. not in crazy in-depth terms yet, but I think realizing that connection after my diagnosis and also being able to look back, hindsight is a yeah. is a great tool. Oh yes. So I'm I'm right at the 2-year mark of my own diagnosis okay. and to be able to see the amount of healing I've been able to do when it yeah. comes to this tumultuous relationship that I've had. And I I had been unknowingly fueling it over the years. You know, I didn't know, truly did not know that I could have this kind of peace when it comes to food. And I say that in, not in a way of putting shame on anyone who's not there, but like in a way of knowing that it is possible. Like Mm -hmm. I look back at what I allowed that relationship to become. And I say aloud because I had no control over it in the moment, but in that moment, you don't know that. You think that that is what you are destined to deal with. And I just, it's been such a game changer to 
be addressing the actual problem now. The ADHD is the problem. The disordered eating was a symptom. Yes. And I'm curious. So when we talk about the connection between disordered eating and ADHD, if there's someone right now who is thinking of starting at the very beginning of examining their own relationship, what are some of the things that they should be looking for? That's a really good question. I think looking at what do you struggle with when it comes to food is a big piece. And I know normally a lot of people like will automatically jump to like weight because it's just how diet culture and and even just the health care system, it like focuses on that's just it. But also just your behaviors. Like is do you struggle with like remembering to eat? You know, do you have a lot of times too like we are not we get to deal with all the ADHD challenges that come with food and then diet culture on top of that. So it just adds this whole other layer that makes things complicated where like you might not eat something, you might skip a meal or a snack. I have clients who be like, I just don't want to eat because the only option I have is not a quote unquote good option. So I'll skip and then I wait as long as possible until I'm ravenous and then I still end up making a just <laughs> the the quote unquote bad decision because I'm so hungry. So kind of understanding like and evaluating like the rules that you have in place in your life and are they helping your relationship with food or are they hurting your relationship with food? It's fascinating, I think, and obviously like nothing in my life is perfect, but to be able to feel like I can eat something and not feel feelings attached to it. Yes, it's amazing. It is amazing. And I realized one of my areas of concern prior to being diagnosed was feeling like it was going to be my last meal. And yeah. It had to be the best, most exciting meal on the planet. And obviously, we know that that's not the case. Yes. <laughs> if we go bottom line, food is fuel. And yes, we should enjoy it. But like, there's a difference between pretending every night is like your 21st birthday. Yes. Which there, were, there were weeks where I was doing that. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you like understand, like, oh, I can take this meal with me. Like, I can have leftovers or like, yeah finishing the meal and feeling so uncomfortable kind of negates all of the wonderful feelings you had in the beginning. And so once you start to realize like, oh, I'm shoveling food in because it's filling this void and you slow down and it it really is so eye-opening to understand a little bit more about some of the decisions that we make. And I say decisions that we make, again, going back, a lot of the times they're not even really decisions we're making. Our brains are making them for us. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons I love the intuitive eating framework is because it really does help you kind of slow down and really reflect on your actual relationship with food and how it makes you feel in your body. And it is this shift from like it it does kind of stop being like worth it almost. You Obviously, there's a lot of other work that has to be done sometimes if you struggle, especially with like the overeating or binge eating side of things where you might feel out of control around food. But there gets to this point as you start working on that relationship with food where it's like, yeah, I don't like feeling this way. And I actually like walking out of a restaurant and not feeling like I need to like unbutton my pants when I get home or like go take a nap because I'm so full. And it's like, that's actually more 
enjoyable of an experience and it just takes it takes time and you those like little you'll have little moments where that'll happen or maybe you'll have a snack or something where you're like oh I can stop and put this away or like oh I can have a cookie or two cookies and I don't have to eat the whole batch of cookies and those moments just kind of slowly build on each other over time I feel like the way I've maybe been talking about it, it sounds like I woke up one day and like <laughs> the problems were all solved. And <laughs> I, I I don't think that by any means of the imagination. And I think the one thing that has been really helpful is is actually just talking about it because yes. then you hear from other people who have similar experiences. And I think that's the one thing that stands out regardless of what you look at with ADHD is we're all learning as we go because yeah. it is so new. Yeah. And you think about like, I mean, I lived almost 35 years on this planet without knowing like how my brain worked. And now all of a sudden it's like, hey, this is, you get like a little manual, you know? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I know. I think for me, I always thought I was going to have an eating disorder and I was like, this sucks. I'm just going to have this eating disorder forever. And then working on my relationship with food, but also understanding the ADHD piece of the puzzle was huge because I was like, oh, there's, it's not just that I'm trying to control my body size or be this type of super healthy person or something like that. I was like, there's other pieces to this puzzle that I was totally looking over as to why there was challenges going on. And then you can kind of start to work with your brain to figure out what works for you. Let's talk about ADHD and using food to self-medicate because I think that this is something that even prior to my diagnosis, I knew I was doing. Like I knew I was emotionally connected to food and I know that this isn't isolated to just people with neurodiversity. I think we don't fully acknowledge sometimes how much we live in a world that is controlled by food. It's fueled by food. You know, like we celebrate, there's food. We grieve, there's food. We're bored, there's food. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's this pattern that plays out, but I think it plays out differently a lot of the times for people who do have ADHD. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the stimulation piece, so for people who maybe don't know what that means, is like you're basically just like medication kind of stimulants give your brain the dopamine that it needs. Food, especially carbs and things that are higher in sugar, are going to be a source of dopamine for your brain, essentially, or anything that like provides an enjoyable sensory experience. And food is just itself is a huge sensory experience. And so especially things like a lot of my clients like crunchy foods or like certain really strong like flavors that are stimulating or all of it kind of combined together or how your hand like pistachios and things that are very like you can play with with your hands those sorts of foods just because of that experience are stimulating I like to look at it like emotional eating where it's like demonizing it doesn't really do any good or saying you should never do that like that just doesn't make sense to me to like deny yourself something that might help but just understanding what you're doing and then what other maybe tools you can add to that toolkit so that like food isn't the only thing, but there might be moments where it's like, this is what's going to serve that purpose. And how can I be as mindful as possible to like maximize that sensory experience? Well, it's kind of like me loving the fact that Sour Patch Kids are sour, but also like 
rip up the roof of my mouth. And there is yeah. something that's really enjoyable about that, which sounds real messed up when you say it, but it is it's the sensory side of you're like, oh yeah, it's totally stimulation. Yeah. Yeah. Like I remember as a kid, like Swedish fish was one, like probably the first, if I had to pick the first thing I remember like eating as a source of stimulation would be like sitting in front of the TV and just like for nothing else other than I really liked the taste and chewing it and was fun and I would just eat and eat and eat until I was like, I'm stomaching. <laughs> like, my mom would buy like these Costco size things of Swedish fish and I would just sit and eat that. And it wasn't, I was not hungry. I just wanted, my hands needed something to do while I watched TV. And that, yep. was, that was what it was. Yep. Totally. I'm curious when you look at your career and, and where you've been and where you are right mm-hmm. now, what's currently your biggest concern when we talk about the connection between ADHD and unhealthy food relationships? Yeah. I think something that I always find interesting is like I see in a lot of articles and things where it'll be like talking about eating disorders and then also putting obesity, like which I don't love the term, but that's a whole other thing. But putting those two things next to each other and like, or recommending, you know, dieting after acknowledging that there's a much higher risk of developing an eating disorder if you have ADHD. And I'm like that dieting is not the answer. Like it's not. And it, doesn't like losing weight isn't going to mean that like your ADHD is going to get better. Like there's no, like that doesn't make sense to me. That word, like sometimes just a lot of like the eat this, not that too, with just removing, like putting a lot of unnecessary restrictions on ADHDers about what they should or shouldn't eat that that the research isn't like super, super strong there. And it, it puts just a lot of stress, I think, especially on parents who are looking for maybe more natural ways to manage ADHD, but they might have ADHD themselves. And it's like to read every food label to make sure it doesn't have certain ingredients. Is this organic or this or that is a and like cook everything from home and don't use pro- like more pro- like foods that are processed or made to just be more convenient <laughs> to make cooking easier and saying that those things are somehow bad and I'm like you're just putting a lot of more work on a parent or an individual for something that might like might in all caps and bold <laughs> it help with managing your symptoms when there's a lot of other treatment modalities for ADHD that have a much bigger impact and a lot of times it's not necessarily like focusing on these certain foods but just working on pe- like ADHD or eating patterns like most of my clients <laughs> most of my clients don't eat consistently throughout the day or don't eat enough protein or eating enough fruits and vegetables. I'm like, we should start with kind of start with some of the basics. (laughs) And then if there's other things that are maybe you notice are impacting your symptoms, discussing, figuring those things out. But it's like always like it jumps straight to like, what should I take away from my diet? Because I have ADHD. I'm like, let's just look at what you're doing first and see, see what's going on. (laughs) Well, and there's such privilege that comes with being able to live a life where you are eating everything that you're supposed to and not putting anything in your body and having time to read the labels and understanding what they mean. And it's just, it's impossible. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, and it's expensive to a lot of the things I see. I'm like the, especially if you're like, if you're paying to go to therapy or you're paying for coaching or you maybe have other medical things going on, 
to tell someone that they need to like eat a whole foods, like never eat processed anything, you know, super processed, like all these things. It's not realistic. And then there's a lot of guilt. Another place we experience guilt and shame is ADHDers because you're like, oh, I should be doing this thing that everyone's talking about, but I can't afford to, or I don't have the time to, or it's like, I don't have the executive function to be able to do all of these things on top of the rest of the things I have to do in my day-to-day life. Long before I was diagnosed, I say long before it was like a year, but like (laughs) maybe, maybe two years, (laughs) Uh, a year, year and a half, two years before I was diagnosed, I came to the conclusion after examining how I was feeling that I needed to cut out gluten. And I am not saying that there's any connection between my brain and ADHD and gluten. I'm just saying that I felt terrible eating it. Like I would almost poop my pants at least once a week, like just putting it out there. Like I felt terrible. And the second it was gone out of my diet, I felt better. I had less brain fog and then throw in the ADHD diagnosis. But my, my point of sharing that is, you know, you mentioned it's not possible to like go throughout life without coming in contact with processed foods. And I feel that way as somebody who doesn't eat gluten. Like I'm not celiac, but I have a sensitivity to it. And the added stress of going out and trying to make sure that there's something that I can eat so I don't feel terrible, like it is exhausting sometimes. And so we're just like setting ourselves up for a breakdown by (laughs) making the rules way too strict. Yeah. Yeah. Or the pen, like that, like pendulum between restriction and binging, even if it's something and especially if it's something you don't necessarily need to cut out of, of like restricting it and then having the opportunity or you have a really strong craving for something then and end up eating it and binging. And there are certain foods too where it's like if you feel even like feeling stress around certain foods can cause your body to have a negative response to eating it, even if there is actual no actual sensitivity. Like I have another dietitian friend who – was a super chronic dieter too. And she would think she like, I think it was gluten and dairy. She thought she had issues with. And she was like, it wasn't actually the gluten and dairy. It was that I would eat a whole entire pizza in one sitting. So like, yeah, I'm not going to feel good. (laughs) Like I'm not going to feel good after I eat a whole entire pizza. Like no one's going to feel good eating a whole pizza to themselves. (laughs) Like in our brain, it's like, oh no, it has to be the ingredient where it's like, no, it's just, that's just probably more than what, someone needs in a city to eat. <laughs> yes. And I will say that some of the moments that stood out of my own <laughs> issue with needing to cut out gluten, uh, I, I feel like there was maybe a box of Cheez-Its, you yeah. know, like, but it is, it's, again, we go back to this idea of like what food is supposed to be used for. And I yeah. think it's, almost been demonized against us. And I say that specifically for women, and I don't mean to say that men haven't been targeted by diet culture, but like I remember vividly in middle school being like, oh, the special K diet where it was like, (laughs) and then the Subway diet and like the Slim Fast diet. I mean, like my entire life has been being told how to eat to have a body that was probably never possible to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. I think at the average age girls start thinking or talking about dieting now is like 10 or younger, which is like so sad. Like breaks my heart because I'm like, you're not even probably you haven't even started puberty probably yet. But like and you're 
trying to control or thinking about controlling the way your body is shaped because that is what the messaging is. And like, usually for men, it's more about being like strong and like maybe more jacked or ripped or whatever with your muscles, but it's, they don't have like whole other than like men's health, maybe like there aren't major publications that are based off of how to fix men's bodies. (laughs) I literally had this conversation with friends the other night where I was like, it was a group of guys. And I was like, you did not get Victoria's Secret magazines delivered Mm -hmm. to your home every month for like (laughs) a decade with Tyra Banks, Marissa Miller. Like, I mean, come on. I laugh because it's like, thank goodness I'm past that. But it's so hard. I mean, you say like the average age is 10. Yeah. And that sounds about right for my moment of knowing that like there were expectations. Yeah. Yeah. And it adds on top. And there's even research to show like between ableism and that phobia that like if you are in a larger body and you do and you are neurodivergent that you might seek to control your body or pursue making your body smaller because you're more likely to experience the effects of ableism being in a larger body. And so it's just really, it's, it stinks. I think a lot. Yeah. It's, it's such a heavy topic and it affects everyone so differently. And so I want to spend like the next, however many minutes, just kind of talking Mm -hmm. about some of the things that people can do to get started. Now, obviously you offer coaching. Yeah. So people can find out more about that by going to ADHDnutritionistllc.com. And of course, you're mm-hmm. on social media, ADHD.nutritionist. But if someone right now were like, it's it's the new year, I want to start examining my relationship with food. Where's a good place to start? Because obviously, it feels like it's a slippery slope for a lot yeah. of us. Yeah. I usually think very broadly and like would say that because it's the new year and usually what everyone thinks is I'm going to become healthy. So I'm going to go on a diet to lose weight. I would encourage you to maybe look at your eating patterns and your behaviors and like what, you know, from a broad zoomed out lens, could you do more of like, let's say it's, I don't eat a lot of vegetables right now, or I only have vegetables, you know, once a day or something like that. Maybe I focus on how to incorporate more fruits and vegetables into my eating patterns because that that there's there are health benefits associated with eating fruits and vegetables. And I hate saying it, but it's the same thing with like regular exercise. When you eat vegetables regularly, you actually start to feel really good, but we don't get like a notification. Like your phone doesn't <laughs> chime and say, Hey, you've been eating vegetables every day for the last three weeks. Don't you feel awesome? But yeah. like when you start to think about it, you're like Oh, when I get sleep and when I exercise regularly and when I eat foods that make me feel good, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I would also like take notes of your eating experiences, like not from a, was this a good food or a bad food, but how does this food make me feel when I eat it? Like for me, a good example, donuts. I like donuts. They're like, they're not my favorite sweet thing. And when I did work in an office setting, like people would bring in donuts Mind you, at the time I worked in weight loss, so they would bring in donuts and like eat them. And like, I'm like, none of the patients can technically eat this because it's 
quote unquote, not on plan. I'm like, you guys are cruel going and eating a donut. And then these poor clients on a diet can probably smell the sugar. (laughs) But like, I wouldn't eat a donut during my work day because I knew that it would like make me crash. And I just, I wouldn't be able to pay attention probably, or I'd want to go take a nap. So I like, it was a decision of if I want a donut, I can have one, obviously, but I'm probably not going to eat it during my work day because I know how it's going to make me feel afterwards. But like, if I'm hanging out with my girlfriends and we want to go grab a donut, like, and some coffee, yeah, I'll go do that. No problem. But just knowing, having a better awareness for how certain foods might impact your day or make you feel. And you can use that as a kind of a way to guide food choices too. Like, something doesn't make you feel good, like, you don't have to eat it. <laughs> or if you don't like eating something, like, You don't have to force yourself to eat something. Even if it is something maybe that's more nutrient dense, maybe it's how you prepare it or there's probably another option out there. You know, like if you don't like broccoli, you don't have to eat broccoli. There are plenty of other green vegetables that will serve the same exact purpose. Well, that segues perfectly to my topic of food rules. And, you know, you've talked a little bit about how some people feel like, oh, well, I'm not making gourmet meals or I'm not meal prepping or, you know, and so I'm I'm failing. But it's like cutting up food, cutting up fruit, cutting up vegetables, uh, opening a bagged salad and like heating up pre-cooked chicken breast yeah. or whatever it is that is your fancy, that is cooking. Yes. Like you don't have to be Martha Stewart in the kitchen to yeah. – cook. And I think it's Mm -hmm. that style of like setting this rule of what it's supposed to be, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think we get that in our head. Like, and that could be a day. I usually will tell my clients to like rank their meals that they like by like how much executive function it takes them. And like, there was probably some meals that don't require a lot of brain effort. Like for you or things like I've made, I've made things so many times that they're very low executive function for me. And I love those meals. And then there's somewhere like, it's going to be a day where I really want to be in the kitchen and do more hands-on stuff. And that's not every single day of the week. And that's totally okay. And I used to think for a while, every single night I needed to be making these really complex recipes that take a long time and would exhaust me. And then I'd be like, I can't do anything the rest of the night because I just spent an hour cooking this meal for myself. And now I have meals that take 15, 20 minutes at most to make. And they're delicious and they're nourishing. You know, they have a protein and some, you know, carbs with some fiber and some veggies and probably some sort of yummy dip or sauce or something because that's just how I roll. And they're delicious and I like it. And I'm like, I can go do, actually go keep doing things in the evening because I'm not spending my whole evening cooking. (laughs) And I also think once you start to get into that pattern of building meals off of what you have, I call it, well, I don't call it, people call this fridge foraging, which I was introduced to a few years ago. And you start to get more comfortable not having a recipe or not doing something extravagant. And I've actually found if I take photos of what I've made and I save them into a folder or I keep them as a favorite, Mm. I can look back and it's like, it'll spark inspiration. And I think some of us feel like, well, I don't have a a food calendar or I don't have, you know, a a dinner schedule set up. And it's like, yeah, some people just don't do that. They can't work that way. And I grew up in a family that never did that. And I never really realized it till I became a dietitian. Like, 
you never plan like there was no calendar on the wall with what the meals were it usually was you know on the way to school or on the way home from school my mom might ask what we want for dinner tonight <laughs> and that was about it and my parents are still the same way I'm pretty sure they're they're undiagnosed <laughs> both are undiagnosed ADHD and it that's just how it is is like it's they it's a spot to use some of their creativity and for me to use creativity but it was never like this intense process of planning it out it was like what's a protein that we have in the fridge and usually that would be kind of what you and a vegetable and what are we what can we make with that it helps to have a stocked pantry and a stocked fridge or at least like non-perishable or frozen things that you can keep on hand very helpful to have I think so that way you can get creative as as needed or at least the things you know you use often like if there are certain items you use a lot of making sure that you have those things available I've also found that I think we get sucked into these food rules about like what is appropriate for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And I'm always like, if you like something and you want to eat it at breakfast and it's not sweet or eggs or, (laughs) you know, whatever that is, eat it. I think sometimes we're so pigeonholed by rules that people have set and it's like, they're not around. They're not going to come and yell at you. Like, do you? Yeah. I've had like, that happened to me where I was like, I'm, I woke up one day. I was like, I'm craving a salad. I guess I'm going to have a salad for breakfast. <laughs> this is weird. And I was like, oh, this is actually delicious. And I like it. But it's just figuring or moving away from that idea of what is or isn't a meal. I want to wrap up by asking, because I'm sure there are people listening who are like, I would love to work with Becca. What are some yeah. things that you encourage people to think about before starting to work with a nutritionist? Because... I've worked with a nutritionist in the past. And again, this was so long ago. And knowing what I know now about my ADHD, like it makes sense that it was a a short stint, (laughs) but it is a commitment. Yeah. And I'm just curious, you know, it's one of those things that I think because we're so impulsive that people are like, oh, I need to do this to, you know, make the next step. And I just would love to know, like, what is the process in your mind that people should consider? Yeah. I think if you are looking for a, even if it's a work for me, but if you're going to work with a dietitian, just asking them what their understanding is, or if they have experience working with folks who have ADHD, because if not, I have a lot of clients who have worked with other dietitians or nutritionists who don't have any understanding of ADHD. And they're like, here, try this recipe with 20 steps. And 20 ingredients and half of them are things you definitely aren't going to have just hanging out in your pantry. And then they don't do it. And they're like, why didn't you make the thing I told you to make? And they're like, because that was, that was a no go from the beginning. You have, I told you I have ADHD and they're, and if they don't understand, they're like, okay, cool. You can still do it. Like just get over yourself. And it's like, you just literally don't understand. So I think asking someone what their understanding is, I think is a great place to start because then you can know that someone will understand having an understanding of how your brain works and can provide you, you know, support or accommodations for things that maybe other, you know, people who might not understand those things would be helpful. And the other piece I would say is if you're more newly diagnosed, it might be, Hey, I need to work on my like foundational ADHD And then maybe, you know, 
management and then look at your relationship with food after things maybe are starting to get more managed in your day to day or maybe starting therapy and things like that. And then getting to the place where it's like, okay, I have tackled these. Usually for a lot of my clients, food is the last piece of the puzzle where they've worked, you know, they've been in therapy, they've done maybe coaching and other things to kind of manage their ADHD. And they're like, and food's still a little bit, is still a struggle for me, but they've developed tools in other areas of their lives too, that they've figured out that work. So then they can start, I can support them by helping them incorporate that with like, with food, like, oh, hey, how do you remember you have doctor's appointments or important things that you have to get done for work? How can we apply those things to remembering to eat your meals or your snacks throughout the day? And that, I think, just having those skills can be a helpful place. One thing that I will share that has worked wonders in our house is we keep a freezer plate in the fridge to remind us to pull something out of the freezer so that it defrosts before we get home from work because the freezer's stocked. But if you aren't planning ahead to take it out, <laughs> you get home from work and you're like, nothing's, yeah. nothing's thought of. <laughs> that is very smart. I, as a kid, my mom would like, I have a younger sister, so she would like have to go pick my sister up from school or take her to practice or something. And I'd be at home and she'd be like, hey, make sure you take the chicken out and put it in the sink to like to thaw before I get home. And then I would hear the like garage door opening and like, oh my gosh, I forgot to do the chicken. And like, run and put it in the sink and her being like, man, it's still really frozen. I'm like, that's crazy. Like, I wonder why. <laughs> never done that. I've never, I've, I've never done something as the garage door was open. <laughs> like, oh man, I said I was going to do that thing. And I totally forgot that I said I was going to do that in the like, however long it was since you told me. <laughs> Becca, this was such an awesome conversation. I hope we can do it again. Uh, And then in the meantime, people can find more from you on your website, ADHDnutritionistllc.com, over on social at ADHD.nutritionist. And thank you so much. And honestly, like, I hope you know all of the stuff that you put on social because that is a huge commitment and energy and time. And I want you to know, like, you were one of the first people I followed after my diagnosis on social and just the time and energy you put into that. It's, it's really wonderful. And I just, I'm, I'm so grateful that this community has somebody like you. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I love getting to make content. Like it's definitely a lot of work, but it is really nice to like, have people be like, okay, someone actually understands me and what I'm talking about with food and I'm not crazy or like, I'm not the only one. I think just knowing you're not alone, like you said earlier, I think is huge because I never talked about binge eating and I like logically knew other people struggled with binge eating when I was struggling with it. But because I didn't talk about it, that healing process took a lot longer and it was just so much more isolating because it was like, my brain was like, no one else is struggling with this, even though I was like, I know that's not true. But that's how it, like in the moment it really felt. So, Well, thank you so much for joining us on Refocused and we'll connect soon. Sounds good. It was really nice to chat. Thanks, Lindsay. A huge thanks to Becca King for sharing her time and expertise with us. To learn more about her and the work she's doing, you can find her on social media at ADHD.nutritionist and through her website, ADHDnutritionistllc.com.
Refocused is produced and hosted by me, Lindsay Gensel. Our production team includes Al Chaplin, Sarah Gelbard, Sarah Platinitis, and Phil Rodeman. Support also comes from Keith Boswell, Claudia Gotti, Melanie Mile, and Suzanne Spruitt. The show's music was created by Louis Inglis, a songwriter and composer based out of Perth, Australia, who was diagnosed with ADHD in 2020 at the age of 39. To work with Louis, you can find his email as well as links to his work shared in the show notes. To connect with the show or with me, you can find us online at RefocusPod as well as at Lindsay Gensel. You can also email us directly at podcast at ADHDonline.com.